This is probably the first Westerberg, solo Westerberg song I've listened to since probably the 90s. What? <laughs> I think we've discussed this before. Um, my first exposure to all things Westerberg was a shitty performance on Saturday Night Live in the early 90s. Uh, that makes sense. He's never... I, of course... Okay, well, first of all, of course, this is Mental Platypus. I'm Jared. I'm Jason. Uh, I made sure to wait to intro the show until you had a mouthful of coffee. I um, appreciate that. You're welcome. Our listeners appreciate that, I'm too. I'm sure they do. If you want to follow what social media we've got, it's uh, at mental underscore platypus on uh, both Instagram and Twitter. You can follow Jason at Jason E. Kyle, K-E-I-L, on Twitter and Instagram. And um, there you can find my James Bond hot takes and <laughs> uh, anything else. I'm really uh, excited for the new yeah, for the new one. Uh-huh. Uh, more on that later. Um, okay. But uh, if you want to talk to the ghost of Jared, he's available Tuesday mornings at LTD underscore engagement. <laughs> Sometimes. <laughs> To be perfectly honest, there's like, you literally have a 10 second window. Not even been great at that lately. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then uh, drop that underscore for the Instagrams for pictures of his cat um, and slip into his DMs. He sure. Might, he you, might read it. You, maybe. <laughs> possibly. He might read it. <laughs> it seems particularly <laughs> unlikely. And he'll read your name on the air. But you know what? If, <laughs> if, uh, if you really want to. Uh, send something that I am likely to read, you could send that to uh, mentalplatypusquarterly at gmail.com or simply go to mentalplatypus.com and uh, hit the contact link and you can send an email through that. Also, if you want to support this podcast... Money talks. In, indeed. <laughs> um, and, uh, and, and poverty uh, walks. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> it's... Uh, it, it's because it's cars in the shop. <laughs> exactly. Um, and it's always, quote, in the shop. Uh, it's uh, patreon.com forward slash Hoot and Waddle. Um, and you can, uh, anything uh, $5 over, you get a bonus pot of us every month. Yeah, we, um, last episode, we talked about our expectations for the new Bond movie, which by the time you listen to this has been out for. Three or four whole days. And yeah. We've and what a three or four whole days. Yeah. <laughs> no time to die. More like, uh, oh, I got nothing. Damn it. I'm going to yeah. have to work on that. More like no time to not go see that movie. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Three I, hours. That was pretty terrible. So let's get into, into this. Uh, we can, we'll, we'll start talking about the essay, but I, as you are no doubt aware... Uh, which is interesting because I don't think we've actually talked about it that much. But I'm a huge Westerberg fan. Yeah, I I, I know it's it's fairly obvious. If uh, here in the um, Who and Wall Studios in Central Phoenix, um, um, Jared has a whole wall uh, dedicated to Mr. Westerberg. And when I say whole wall, like this, it's a very tiny wall. Yeah. It's <laughs> a- <laughs> and it's one framed thing that has a signed uh, a signed copy of the liner notes of Folker and a signed ticket from when I saw him at a at a hell of a show at the uh, Marquee. Yeah, so I mean, and 
Have I told that story? So yes, I you think have. I have. Yes, but you know, for anybody who may be new to, this, you're gonna tell again. I'm gonna. I'm gonna. I'm gonna tell it. So, <laughs> uh, listeners to other podcasts such as Limited Engagement and What the Fork may be aware of the fact uh, that I have no love for the venue, the Marquee Theater. Which well is documented. Well documented. Fucking hate the marquee. It can burn. Um, but. <laughs> no, it can't. It's kind of historic. Whatever. Go ahead. That's fine. That's maybe a little strong. I don't actually want anything to burn. <laughs> when the marquee not... burns, they will look at the podcast and they will see your name. <laughs> They'll be like, we have our number one suspect. <laughs> <laughs> Just for the record, I'm a fan of the environment and don't want anything to burn to contribute to the, uh, the terrible, terrible air quality, which we all endure every day. Now, uh, I, that being said, I have seen a number of, of great shows at the Marquee, despite uh, the best efforts of its staff and patrons to ruin my evening, um, including uh, a great show with Wilco and, and Calexico, um, a, a great uh, Stephen Malcolmus solo gig, um, a, uh, what else? Oh, Toad the Wet Sprocket I saw there. Great show, great show. I don't know why. why did, great show, great show. <laughs> I don't know why I slipped into that. But then also, uh, it's funny that despite their best efforts, they haven't ruined these great shows for you. Oh, Crowded House saw there. Yeah, 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 yeah. I heard that right. story yeah. too. That, that one's been on this podcast. Um, the anyway, no need to go. But, but the point is, saw Paul Westerberg there. Uh, Paul Westerberg, who is, uh, if you don't know who Paul Westerberg is, uh, honestly, I don't know what to tell you. Uh, he's he's in one of the seminal rock bands to come out of Minneapolis in the. Uh, in the 80s. Prince of the Revolution? <laughs> Is that who you're talking about? Soul Asylum? <laughs> <laughs> Husker do? <laughs> no, I am, of course, talking about the replacements. The Mets. Uh, <laughs> my, my, our, one, our one listener is going... Fuck you, asshole. <laughs> <laughs> I just, you know. Uh, We're a mecca, damn it. <laughs> no, hey, I, I have, uh, d- you know, much love for the land of Garrison Keeler. Um, <laughs> Wrong move, dude. <laughs> you can go. We're going to go. We're going to head back into Lake Wobegon pretty soon. <laughs> anyway, go ahead. Anyway. So, uh, The Replacements. Uh, major influential band for me. I, I think that it speaks volumes to my personality that of all of those bands that have been mentioned, that I am drawn uh, most to the antics and uh, imperfections of The Replacements. Um, they're definitely one of the most uneven bands on record and live, and Paul Westerberg continued uh, that on into his solo career. Uh, but I went to see this show. It was the first time he'd been on tour in a, in a long time. He had had, um, you know, taken a, a long, long break, both from recording and from touring. Uh, and he, during that time, had gotten married, had a kid, gotten sober. Uh, and then he went on tour and promptly fell off the wagon. Um, and fell off it hard, like hit the dirt and kept rolling. <laughs> so that this show, it was not going great. And then there was a small break, and then he came back with a bottle of whiskey, 
<laughs> and uh, the show proceeded to go from there. This is the show where I was, um, where he tossed a pack of Mar- Marlboro Reds out into the crowd, and I, I so I had a Westerberg cigarette. And granted, I'm not even a smoker. Even when I have been uh, for a brief period in my 20s, it was mostly socially and didn't really enjoy it. Um, but, you know, I was like, it's a fucking Westerberg cigarette. And he's smoking on stage. And obviously, this is past the time of the no smoking in, indoors. But, like, it's a, this is rock and roll, man. So I, I lit up the cigarette and... Uh, and was approached by by one of the uh, the many gruff personnel from the marquee, uh, and I right there in front of them took the cigarette and put it out in my hand. <laughs> Badass. I know, right? Fucking rock and roll. Who who is this? Who is this badass motherfucker standing across from me? <laughs> Not Jared Duran. No, certainly not the guy who spent his Saturday morning at uh, the at the bar at the breakfast restaurant reading Larry McMurtry and eating eggs. Yeah, and and, and not just any Larry McMurtry. Terms of endearment. Oh my! <laughs> like you could have been like reading one of his fucking westerns. But no. <laughs> nope, not Lonesome Dove. Nope, nope. Not even the Last Picture Show. Nope. Terms of endearment. endearment. Yep, that's right. Which good movie. We can all agree. It's on that. actually what's prompting me to read the book. I, you know, as as you are no doubt aware, I've been listening a lot to Blank Check, and I and they, I was listening to their James mini, L. Brooks Blank mini series on but James L. Brooks. Yeah, um, I mean, and to you know, just briefly talk about a guy who had an amazing out of the box success. I mean, Terms of Endearment was the number two grossing movie of 1983 behind Return of the Jedi. Was that? But that wasn't like his first theatrical movie, was it? Was, it? Yeah. it was? Yeah. Oh, shit. Yeah. Wow. And then to top that with broadcast news. No, sh- yeah. <laughs> yep. Um, and now I have to mention all and this And then shit. to top that with, I'll do anything. <laughs> <laughs> Which, there, there needs to be a... Um, there needs to be a like a director's cut of that because you know did was going to have like musical numbers and shit. Well, so here's the thing: you don't you don't listen to Blank Check, but okay. they did a one after the other talk about the theatrical version, and they also a listener tracked down a bootleg copy of the musical. Oh my god! And they reviewed the musical, and it was awful. Yeah. <laughs> I um. Yeah, it takes a lot of fucking hubris to, <laughs> yeah, to think that people would want to watch that. Yes, Nick Nolte sing of all people. Well, and 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 yeah, Albert Brooks <laughs> and Julie that... Kavner. <laughs> well, we've heard Julie Kavner sing about the monorail, and exactly, yeah, she she's more of a speak singer. Yeah, but I mean, still, I, I'm more I, Nick Nolte. I, I'm sure he's a fine singer you know i'm sure he's had training and i don't i have no idea i've not seen i I just it's not someone who i'm dying to see i'd rather hear christopher walken sing and i have heard christopher walken sing uh than nick nolte um Um, but yeah anyway so i i have seen the film several times but hadn't seen it for a long time and i thought you know what i'm gonna read the book this time and then and then watch the film so did he write the Evening Star, the book, the McMurtry? No, 
the sequel. So that's a purely. Yeah, apparently it ha- it's a sequel that has like no tie to the, okay. um, to terms of endearment, and James L. Brooks had nothing to do with it. Right, uh, that, that I'm aware of. I think I don't know if McMurtry even wrote the script to that one. But I don't think so. Yeah, well, and Brooks wrote the script for Terms of Endearment. Right, right. Um, um, but I mean, somehow they, whoever made the Evening Star, got both. Shirley MacLaine and Jack Nicholson to come back for it. Yeah, well, I mean, you give Jack enough money. He'll show up for anything. I mean, those season tickets for the Lakers games don't pay for themselves. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, <laughs> um, were you done with your Westerberg story? Probably, yeah. Okay, just wanted to make sure before we moved on. Uh, yeah. Okay. I, I think that's it. That was my Westerberg story. Oh, and that's also the concert where I got the ticket and the booklet signed. Yeah. Did um so you did you leave the show at any point? I did not. So. Unlike Mr. Hornby with his uh with his um Led Zeppelin. Have you left show. a show ever? Like early? Yes, I have. I was super fucking drunk, but I left it. <laughs> um it was um, and I don't mean to be clear. I don't mean like when the show ended or by security. No, no, neither of those. <laughs> uh, I exited myself and just did not go back in. Um, it was zero uh, seven. I'd walk out of that show. Um, I had no, I, I yeah. Um, I mean, granted, I, I had had far too much that evening. Um, I get and actually, I actually walked home from the uh, from the uh, Van Buren that night. Took is a that really when you long lived? walk. Is that when you were living on Indian School in Sixteenth? Oh, okay, yeah. Um, but yeah, no. So I, I walked. I walked from there. Um, long ass walk, but you know, got sober. I did. Yeah. yeah. By the time I got home, I was I was uh, sobered up. Uh, and you know, also just to uh, don't drink and drive. <laughs> yeah. You know, there's a thing called um, Uber or Lyft. Yeah, I know. Oh, okay. But sometimes, you know, it was a it was a crisp evening, and I was enjoying the yeah, yeah. meandering walk. And um, yeah, yeah, all right. Anyhow, okay. uh, so that's that is the one occasion that I've actually walked out of a show uh, because typically, but because I, of your drunkenness, no, because I wasn't enjoying the show. Uh. I did not enjoy zero seven. Um, I went with somebody, you know, and and it was that was actually the impetus for the heavy drinking, um, and uh, it was really more for them than for me. And so before uh, we, all I knew was the one song off of the Garden State soundtrack. So before we, um, I guess before we piss off our uh, section of viewers who are huge Zero Seven fans, did it have anything sure. to do with the band? Yes, I did not like the band. Oh, okay, <laughs> I did not like them. Jason, I am. <laughs> I did not like them anywhere. I did not like them in the Van Buren. I did not like them. <laughs> the fact that they were able to pack that venue. <laughs> yeah. Because yeah. like, that's, like, I'm sure they have a, a dedicated fan base. Yeah. Um, but I'm not even, like, that huge of a fan of their Garden State entry. I liked that one, but I did not, you know, that's perhaps on me for not investigating any further because I did not enjoy any of the rest of it. Mm. Oh, uh, but uh, in the case of uh, what we're talking about today, you've not left in the middle of a solo because it was going too long. No, no, I'm actually. I mean, that to me is one of the reasons to go to a live show. I, you know, 
I'm not I'm not a huge fan of a lot of bands that are going to do that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, you know, when they go off for a little bit and 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 noodle around, I I enjoy that. I like I've um, Wilco especially. Yeah, I I don't mind when Wilco does it. Um I even didn't mind it when John Mayer did it when he I saw Dan and Company. Mm-hmm. Even though he makes the most god awful like guitar solo face. Guitar solo face the like the <laughs> for lack of a better description, the I'm about to come face. Right. Yes. <laughs> um, um, you know what? Here's the thing is that, and I, I remember Dana Carvey doing a bit on this uh, quite some time ago, but it was, uh, you know, how the guitar solo face is never pretty. No. Well, I mean, it's pretty when it's like Eric Clapton doesn't have to make that face. No, but almost all of the expressions on a guitarist's face when they're playing a solo are some variation of being in pain or having sex. A and a Van Halen, I think, are has ever some made of that them face. being in pain while having sex. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm sure a Van Halen has had that happen to him. <laughs> but when he's playing guitar, he just seems to be—I don't know. I mean, they always look like they're smelling something rotten or they're, you know, somebody's sticking them with a hot poker or something. The guitar solo face is never, never great. I don't understand bass solos. Like, is that even, unless you're Flea. I, you know what? I kind of like, I, I kind of like bass solos. I, I actually kind of, you know, so one of my favorite, um, you know, jazz artist from the Blue Note heyday uh, is is Paul Chambers. Okay, uh, the record's bass on top, and it's you know, well, that's jazz bass. We're talking about different. jazz, though. Yeah, beyond that, I don't. You know, if somebody's got, it, it really takes having some some chops. Now, I'm not, and I'm not talking I, Sting. I'm talking. I would like, like to point, and I would like to point out here that I'm looking at uh, Jared's record collection, and he has them all in alphabetical order. I do. And then at the bottom, in a little corner, covered up by a um, cat thing, there's the, his jazz section of maybe about 15, 20 albums. Yeah, no. Because he needs a separate section for jazz. I do. So. I, I do. <laughs> I have a separate comedy section, too. Yeah. You have quite a few. You have more. I think you have more comedy albums than you have jazz albums. Well, so that's. Here's the thing is that if you look over there at the CDs, I have. A couple of shelves of, of of jazz CDs. I probably have about 100, 150 jazz CDs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So my reticence with this is that I spent a fair amount of money collecting those. Okay. And tracking those down and getting like the Rudy Van Gelder remasters and a lot of the you know the Atlantic um, you know, remasters and going over my head. Okay. I, anyway, <laughs> I, I I get it. Yeah, not a huge jazz fan. Anyway, it's just it's um, I know what time Ken Burns is mine and. <laughs> No, and this isn't because I hate jazz. I, I that's totally not the case here. It's well, one of those things that's just I, I'll know I'll never be an expert on. So why try? You you need the time. You need it's it takes it's a lifestyle for a little while. Yeah, that's you, why you go down. You have to go down the rabbit hole. Somewhere in my books, I've got like the the Penguin Encyclopedia of Jazz, mm-hmm. um, and I've gone through that and bought a lot of albums based on the you know the starred reviews of that and essentials of that, and. You know, so but the thing is, to you, you, if you think tracking down original versions of like Sparks albums is expensive, tracking down, you know, non or you know, any jazz records from from 
back in the day by any artist of re- repute is super fucking expensive. Oh, I bet. Like, so. I, I can only imagine. Like, again, like, just to, like, start off, you know, to so I don't piss off everyone else. I've already pissed off Minnesotans. <laughs> well, to be fair, I started. Yeah. I have already pissed off Zero Seven fans, so I'm not trying to piss off everyone today. I'm mm-hmm. not trying, definitely not trying to piss off jazz fans. This is one of those things where I just don't know where to begin. It's it's tough, and it's, you need to find what era that you know or what style you really like because there's, I mean, it's all over the place. I I thought for a while that I was really into the avant garde stuff, the more experimental stuff, and then after a while. It just it's too much just noise. I find I prefer listening to something with some melody. Yeah. Um and don't get me I still love Ornette Coleman. Mm-hmm. I still love uh um uh John Coltrane's more experimental later stuff, but there's still always some uh, melodicism to it. And then there are others that are just out of their fucking minds, like way out there in space. And it's cool to listen to mm-hmm. and there's some interesting things about it, but it's not something that I'm gonna like put on and do chores around the apartment. I've listened to some Quincy Jones that's pretty out there. Mm. Some, uh, I, I, well, out there for me, I guess. I'm sure everyone's going, I'm sure some jazz head out there is in his basement rolling his eyes going, this motherfucker <laughs> right here. He listens to one, watches one Quincy Jones movie and all of a sudden he thinks he's a fucking expert. <laughs> <laughs> no, I would never, I, I'm a lover, not an expert. <laughs> <laughs> well Anyhow. Said. So yeah, that's why the jazz collection is growing a little more slowly than the pop collection. I'm yeah. just, you know. Um, anyway, but um, how do we get this back to Westerberg? Yeah, well, I guess how we get it back to like solos, even yeah. too, because I've seen, like I said, I've seen Dan Company. I've seen, I've gone to jam band shows. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I've uh, I've walked out of a Dave Matthews show early just a because it's so fucking boring (laughs) now you've pissed off dave matthews fans no it's just like i've seen dave matthews twice the first time i saw him was probably the second time i've gone high um and and i was not even sure if i was tuned into that you know to to even fucking enjoy that Mm -hmm. second time i did i did it for a review and i stayed there long enough so i could write a decent review and um but i just did not i i was bored mm-hmm. uh like you've got him singing nonsense and talking nonsense in between shows and these songs just go on forever like yeah um not everything needs a 10 minute fiddle solo exactly i just was so bored like i don't drink the water does not need to be 15 minutes long. <laughs> That's what, you know, and I... I and it's marching, yes. <laughs> I, I've I've come around pretty full circle on Dave Matthews. Like, I, I don't actually own any Dave Matthews, uh, but there's some of it. I, I liked it in the 90s. Um, Those and first then three I, albums are... Yeah, no, they're Under the Table and Dreaming. Uh, Crash. Crash, and, yeah, sure. What's the other one? What's... Um, oh. Man, um, these streets. Yeah, crowded streets. Yeah, yeah, something like that. Anyway, they're they're great, uh, and I actually really like. There's that um, that Tim Reynolds album. Yeah, the that one's one. good that too. Was good. Yeah, uh, but I would not. I can't see myself going and sitting through mm. uh, like a three hour Dave Matthews Band show. Yeah, I was. This was a festival gig, so it was two hours. <laughs> like so, look, 
so like I got like an hour reprieve, but I'm like going, I'm not going to do this. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm so glad I didn't. Well, you know, it's interesting because you turn that to a similarly long show, like a Springsteen show or a Pearl Jam show that goes on for three hours. And there's not, I'll sit and listen to McCready solo for 10 minutes. And that's the thing is like McCready is playing the guitar yes. uh, behind him. Right. As he drinks a bottle of wine. I don't know how he does well, it. Well, McCready's not drinking anymore. McCready's been sober oh, for a long time. Okay. Um, They're sober for a long time. Well, then Vetter's drinking the wine. Vetter is definitely drinking the wine. Vetter is definitely <laughs> drinking the wine. Um, like, and like I, I've seen Pearl Jam do a festival set. It was great. Um, I could have stayed there forever. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know. I didn't know. How, like, they were playing some deep cuts. and Like, I yeah. I didn't I care. Guess when I saw them uh, the last time they played Phoenix in I think 2013 or something like that. Yeah, uh, 2016 maybe. Anyway, whenever they were here last, uh, fantastic, mm-hmm. great show again. You know, like deep cut kind of stuff. And that's it's the sort of thing where, and I think this brings us back around to Hornby's uh, discussion about the solo mm-hmm. and the the solos on a Pearl Jam song or solos on a, on a Springsteen song the solos he mentions uh, Jackson Brown David Lilly's <laughs> solos on, on Jackson he Brown he doesn't stuff. give Clarence Clemens a fair shake though uh, well I kind of I kind of agree with him a little bit there are a lot of oh, I, a lot of Springsteen songs that Clarence Clemens plays the same solo on you know yeah um, I didn't say he was wrong <laughs> <laughs> no uh, and, well and he doesn't and he says he doesn't give Springsteen much credit either he says that he talks uh kind of talks down about his technique as a, as a, as a guitarist, but, um, well, spring Bruce would never say he's like the greatest guitarist of all. No, time. but some of his solos, that's are why he gets fucking great. Well, that's why he gets snills. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, but any, you know, it's it, there, this, the solos are such a piece of the song and I love what he's talking about with, um, with, uh, well i don't want to screw it up so let me get the exact wording of it but when he's talking about um how a soloist uh or a guitarist can um let's see give the impression that they want to engage with the songwriter's soul that's you know the that direct quote from the essay like yeah to me that the best solos are like that yeah. Um, well, that's what's so great about the solo he talks about in the Westerberg song. Yes. So well, let's talk about the Westerberg song, which yeah. is Born For Me. Mm-hmm. He mentions, uh, w- which is off of his album, uh, I want to say his third solo album, Suicane Gratification. Um, and um, he talks about, let's see. I like I like how he says he describes Westerberg as everyone's favorite could have been a contender. <laughs> um, so there, he talks about the piano solo, which is on, on the original version of this song, um, and it's this three note um, a solo is basically played with one finger, and initially at least consists of three notes. But it sounds great to me, it, not in a punky do-it-yourself way, although frankly you could once you've heard it, but in a strangely intensely musical way. A better pianist would have wrecked the moment filled in the gaps, failed to recognize how the tune has exerted a spell over the, over, over the right listener. Somebody with little talent and absolutely no ear 
would simply have chosen the wrong three notes. Um, well, that's what I like about the solo. Yeah. Because it felt like such an extension of the song. Yeah, well, it does, and and as Westerberg's playing, as you know, he goes into this, you know, as Hornby says, this very simple solo. Then he starts humming mm-hmm. the tune again before he gets back into the into the chorus. It's a really sweet song. I I love this song. It's a good song. It's the first thing I thought is like, oh, so this is where Ryan Adams gets his image from, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, really. You're you're not far off there, and 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 uh, you know so, which is even then less reason to listen to Ryan Adams uh, because you can just listen to Westerberg instead. Well, there, there are many other reasons I'm now saying, not to listen to yeah, Ryan. Adams. But for those of you still clinging to the idea that Ryan Adams is a great singular talent, go listen to Westerberg. Yeah, I would. Um, yeah. <laughs> Definitely. He's he's one of those, and I, you know, I was somebody, who, I owned a copy of Gold. Um, who did? Know, I, I owned a, a few. You weren't an American albums. unless you owned like that, that album. And, you know, I, 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 you can look through all my records and CDs. I no longer have a Ryan Adams album because that was the line of where um, not only is this guy so very obviously an asshole, but you know he's not that original either. So yeah. I have no problem not listening to him and not Whiskey Town that guy anymore. though. Mm. His Whiskey Town days. That's how I loved Whiskey Town, and uh, I was very sad when they broke up. And then I kind I liked Adams's. I'm going to do a Smith album, uh, rock and roll. Sure, I liked it. Okay, even though everyone hates it. Um, but I'm a. I'm a. There are some what the kids call bangers <laughs> on that one. But no, I, I rather listen to, I rather listen to Westbrook. I don't know why I let one shitty Saturday night live performance, like, that's, him for, like, you know, that's again, this for somebody who's, I, I'm trying to think of, I, I'm pretty sure that I listened to the mats first, um, but I might've heard Westerberg solo first. Either way, he was one of those guys that kind of like changed my one one of the hearing. It was like you know this album changed my life kind of deal. Yeah, um, or just changed my opinion of music and what how like not everything needs to be perfect. It's okay if it's <laughs> if it's ragged around the edges. If anything proves that, it is like the replacements albums. Like yeah. there's so many like like, <laughs> like that first album's like. Sorry, Ma forgot to take out the trash, celebrating yeah. its fortieth anniversary soon. Yeah. Reissued on Rhino Records. Not a sponsor. <laughs> but <laughs> yeah. if you're listening. Yeah, any of any representatives from Rhino listening, we would love to have you as sponsors. And hey, we take we take payment and replacements box sets. Um <laughs> you're, we're gonna need two of those though. <laughs> um but yeah, well, and and then you know how disastrous it can be when you try to polish the edges, you know, mm-hmm. sand off all the all, all the grit, um, because those first, you know, going from from Sorry Ma to um, the the Stink EP, uh, Hoot Nanny, and um, uh, Tim and Tim. Uh, please to uh, please to meet me. I'm leaving out. Uh, oh, the audacity to call their their like fourth album "Let It Be." Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, 
How you know, dare they? <laughs> it's like well, only the biggest pop band in the world called their last album "Let It Be." Why don't we call our fourth album "Let It Be"? <laughs> uh, and it's one of no the, one's gonna get the joke. <laughs> I would say that that the replacements "Let It Be" is a better album than the Beatles' "Let It Be." Okay. Oh, come on. You're not wrong. Think about, I mean, not that Let It Be doesn't have some bops, but it's, (laughs) but the replacements Let It Be has Answering Machine and has, uh, uh, oh shit, what, uh, I Will Dare. Um, Yeah. That one, having that alone is just, yeah, yeah, better than, speaking of, Speaking of shit that goes on too long, the the coda, yeah, <laughs> to, let, to, to Hey Jude, right? Um, that is, um, it's fine when McCartney does it in concert because mm-hmm. I never want it to end, right? But it's enough when like uh, it shit goes on for three minutes, like yeah, we we know that Julian and his dad are never going to get along. Okay, it's right. we don't need to we don't need to keep it going. Uh, Anyway, go ahead. Well, you know, you're you've you've almost made the case with me, and I will spend the afternoon trying to see, trying to go pour over the evidence. You're welcome. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, those, but those. This is going to be a hot take episode. Those, 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 the first, at least the first half of the Matt's career. You know, I, I would argue ending with, um, with "Please to Meet Me." which has um, Skyway on it and has uh, Alex Chilton and has, you know, a, a lot of, a lot of great, great songs on it. They start to then become, you know, it's, it seems like they, they had this moment where it's like, you guys should be big. And then suddenly they were like, Oh yeah, we should be big. So let's you know let's actually try to make a proper pop album. And then the thing that you get out of that is um, is fucking uh, can't hardly wait. Uh, don't tell a soul. Oh yeah, oh, I, I like can't hardly wait. I, I do mean, too. come on. <laughs> I do too. Jesus ride besides me and never <laughs> buys any smokes. Yes. <laughs> yeah. No. Uh, don't tell a soul and. Speaking of of Rhino box set reissues, that album, if if which includes the original, the original mix of it, is so much better than what the than what the record company took and 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 polished and took like all of the nuance out of it and just made it shine. Mm-hmm. And there are songs that I like on it, but if you listen to those original mixes where it's a little more raw. Um, it's so much better. Oh yeah, it's... you know, and they're just they're just one of those bands that should be left alone. Like, not every time are they going to knock it out of the park, but when they do, they fucking do it, and they do it on their terms. Mm-hmm. To try to mold them to something, they're just gonna it's it's gonna crumble. It's just never gonna work. Yeah. I should also point out, um, since we're talking about the replacements, that. Uh, you, I've told the story often of how I've chosen between um, chose between Sunvolt and Wilco after and Uncle chose T- poorly and chose poorly. Yeah, I'm not quite sure about this yet, but um, about eight years ago is when the replacements got back together. No, seven years ago. 
Yeah. Um, One of my biggest regrets not seeing them in Tempe. Well, hold on. <laughs> hold, hold your beer. <laughs> <laughs> so I was at Austin City Limits Fest, and I, at the time, had to choose between Spoon for the upteenth time and the replacements. Mm. Guess who I chose? Did you choose Spoon? I chose Spoon. Dude. Uh, and even Britt Daniels like, thanks for coming, even though the replacements are right fucking there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, but I had heard the shows weren't so great. So I well, didn't. that's, I mean, that's the thing is that they're notoriously one of those bands and, and then Westerberg solo as well. That was either brilliant or a train wreck. Yeah. Uh, and you never knew what you were going to get from night to night. I, I chose the sure thing. I spoon has never let me down hmm. and never will. So to get back to born for me, um, there, did you listen to both versions of the song? No, I only listened to the original. Okay. I, I didn't realize there were two versions. I'm going to tell you. Uh, yeah. I'm going to tell you about this. And I, w- I would say when you're, in, you know, when you're at home uh, beginning to agree with me that the replacements let it be is better than the Beatles let it be. Um, <laughs> that, that would be like me telling you that Mad About You is a good show. You'll never know if I agree with you or not. <laughs> Even if you decide that it is, <laughs> you will never admit you it. You will really. never know. <laughs> Uh, you know, whatever. That's fine. I'm not going to give you the fucking satisfaction. I'm going to anyway, feel continue. something in the air. I'm going to feel like a change in the atmosphere and be like, I can feel it. Something Jason's happened. come over to the dark side. <laughs> <laughs> There's a disturbance in the you're, force. You're going to text me and you're going to be like, you watched it, didn't you? It's just going to say, I know. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Anyhow, so th- there are two versions of this song. The original came out, I want to say, in 99, 90, yeah, 99, I want to say, um, on the album, like I said, Sukane Gratification. It was produced by Don Was uh, oh. in the uh, in one of a, a classic, hilarious bit of, of Westerberg uh wittery uh, he, it says that the album was produced by paul and don wusterberg <laughs> <laughs> and uh that that album you know it has some songs that are kind of meh but it opens up with an amazing song called um that just seems like it was a toss-off demo um uh oh, hang on it's gonna come to me um Fuck. No, it's not going to come to me. How is that possible? Um, it opens with the lines, get up from a dream and I look for rain, take an amphetamine and a crushed rat brain. How am I doing? Better, I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> and it goes, through, oh, it's a wonderful lie. Because that's the chorus. It's a wonderful lie. I still get by on those. <laughs> oh. <laughs> and it's such a good song. And it's just this, it's just Westerberg and an, and an acoustic guitar and you get to the end of the song and, and you hear him like, like unplugging his guitar or something. They you hear a button clicking. It's like, it had to have just been a one-off, you know, first take in the studio and it's so fucking good. 
And then, um, and then you get a song like like "Born for Me" on there, and it's, um, you know, it it walks on a knife's edge between being just syrupy and heartfelt. Yeah, like it it could it veers so close, just one step to the to the side, you know, one way or the other, and suddenly you've got this, um, you know, uh, just. Uh, I don't know, overwrought kind of uh, uh, like like a I don't know, like a journey ballad. It feels something. It, honestly, it feels like something anchored in something real. Mm-hmm. Like it's like the, this real moment. Like and that's what prevents it from like getting too too sugary, too yeah. pop, yeah. Uh, from it, turning into a death cap song, sure. I mean that the the lines of that the of that verse that start for a couple of nights you could say you're my wife mm-hmm. you could stay or run away if you please mm-hmm. I, that just fucking gets me and the um so this original version has Sean Colvin on backing vocals ah that's who I was trying to find a place that um like, I know that voice then a few years back I don't know if you listened obviously you didn't listen to it because there's another version of the song on there but. Uh, Westerberg and Juliana Hatfield did a one-off album called The I Don't Cares. Okay. Uh, and it was one of my favorite albums the year it came out. Um, I think it's, it's you know, basically the way Juliana Hatfield t- tells it, um, it had been, I think it had probably been like a good 10 years since Westerberg had last recorded. And she went down to his basement with him and was like, <laughs> we got to get this stuff on record. Mm-hmm. And they recorded like uh, I want to say uh, uh, like a baker's dozen worth of of songs for this album, and one of them was a re-recording of "Born for Me," and it's a much faster tempo. Mm-hmm. Um, the solo in this instance is uh, is instead of a three-note piano solo, it's a two-note guitar solo. <laughs> and I was I was re-listening to both versions today, just kind of back to back, over and over for a little bit. And the the newer version, the version with Julian Hatfield, sounds like it could it could have played over any number of like Michael J. Fox uh, romantic comedy movies in the in the eighties. It's um, funny the way you're talking about um, Westerberg in general it does sort of remind me of a um, other Nick Hornby novel, Juliet Naked, and he's. Uh, <laughs> Dude, that's why I love that book so much is because I'm like, I'm that guy. I'm that guy. Like, And like Julian Hatfield's like his savior. <laughs> it's, his, uh, it's his Juliet Naked. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. I, I do love that book. And I actually really like the movie, too. And, and, let's and just to say be this. clear, I'm the Chris O'Dowd character. Yeah, I was going to say, let me be clear. <laughs> like Before you start, you know... Before you start perpetuating yourself as Ethan Hawke, I am not. You Ethan are Chris Hawk. O'Fucking Dowd. I'm very dude. much Chris O'Dowd. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I'm the I'm the the guy who ig- ignores his 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 hot wife in favor of of uh, just you know obsessing over this musician's work. And let me be the one to tell you, dude. You do not go out for steaks when you got Rose. When you got Rose Byrne making. You not go out for love years, and you got Rose Byrne making steaks. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah. That's, I mean, come on, <laughs> Rose Byrne, come on. <laughs> I know. <laughs> oh god. But yeah, I, I would check that version out. 
it suddenly got a, a power ballad quality to it, but it's again ragged enough around the edges that it's it's like I, I don't know. It's it it suddenly comes off like it could have been a replacement song, um, as opposed to this kind of plaintive ballad, and it it holds up to the newer arrangement, the the heavier arrangement, hmm. um, and what's what I think is cool about the song in both settings is that in either case, you know, the, I I can't imagine that song without Colvin's backing vocals on the original Mm -hmm. version. And then on the, you know, it's just, it's a great counterpoint to, to, um, you know, essentially, uh, Westerberg's kind of gruff croon. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, uh, Sean Colvin is a technically wonderful singer and Westerberg is not. Well, <laughs> so, to, re- well to reference an earlier essay, I enjoy the mingling of those voices so much more than the Wainwrights and One Man Guy. Yeah. Yeah. I like that a lot. I was like, oh, holy shit. And I was like, where do I fucking know this voice? Because mm-hmm. it's, and of course, it's because it's been 30 years since I've listened to Sonya Came Home. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, it actually, you know, anytime. The, listening to that song makes me want to seek out the Steve Earle, Sean Colvin collaborations because mm-hmm. I would imagine that their voices meshing is is kind of that would be good. similarly satisfying, you know, because mm-hmm. Steve Earle's got a very kind of gruff sort of uh, he he has I mean he and Westerberg their voices are not that dissimilar actually no I I I, w- I agree with you on that um but I you know. It's I, I I could obviously I could go on talking about Westerberg and the joys of of his music for for some time. Um, is there anything else that we want to talk specifically well, we were, about the essay? So we were talking about like walking out, and then I guess we kind of talked about favorite. Were well, we going to talk about favorite solos? Because it's kind of like I feel like is the point of this essay. Because again, Westerberg is just completely like an afternote. Yeah, like. Um, well, but he does. It's interesting. I, I think it's a strong illustration of what he feels defines a good solo because it, it's not a technically brilliant solo. I, I, so, you but, know, to bring it to an Elvis Costello comparison, right? But it is like an extension of the song. That's why. Oh, think, it is yeah. absolutely. It's it it it's perfect for the song. Mm-hmm. If you know, I was going to bring up an Elvis Costello comparison because he has in Steve Naive one of the most technically gifted, brilliant keyboardists on the planet. Um, you know, classically trained. Uh, you know, it's he's 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 a brilliant keyboardist, but he's also a very busy keyboardist. Um, mm-hmm. And there's a song on Brutal Youth that um, if you get the, it's going to go back to Rhino because it's the one of the two disc reissues that they put out um, of Costello's back catalog. But the the double disc version of Brutal Youth has uh, a version of a song called Favorite Hour, which closes Brutal Youth um, on the on the album uh, as it was released. It was a it's it's Costello playing piano, not mm-hmm. naive, um, and Costello playing it. It's just kind of this you know very simple plunking of chords, and it suits the song brilliantly. Um, there's a version that they recorded with Naive playing keyboards for it, and it loses a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, if you, if just to listen to it for the to hear um, 
Naive's playing, it's great. He he is a brilliant keyboardist. Um, it, it's it sounds fantastic, but it loses any sort of connection with the lyrics in my mind. Um, it's just it's just too polished, too technically proficient, too busy, too big, and hearing Costello play piano in his very simple way, not technically proficient, it it allows the it holds up the lyrics and really um, allows you to to get into the imagery, and I think that Westerberg's playing on on Born for Me does the same thing and when you hear something like that it's it's really i mean it's it's essentially the reason for listening to popular music uh as a genre because because of those moments i don't listen to and you know i i should say let, let me walk that back a little bit because i i do listen to like a lot of um I, I do love like a lot of top forty stuff. A lot of things that are that are um, granted, they're you know top forty from the eighties and nineties. Yeah, but, <laughs> I was going to say you're going to need to clarify here. Um, it, so it's it's not that I don't appreciate, um, you know, like a uh, you like pop music. I do, yes, but when you just get not pop those, music made now. Uh, well, but, I mean, but, you know, that's not ex- strictly true. It, uh, we uh, could we could debate this all day, but can, go that's on. Not so. Uh, the it, it's those moments of ragged honesty in pop music that keep bringing me back, mm-hmm. um, and that have have uh, that make me as uh, a, a, as obsessive a listener as as I am. Mm-hmm. Um, because I don't, you know, like I, I love Jimi Hendrix, but I don't need to, it's, I, I don't listen to him that much because I'm not often looking for something that just blows my mind with technical proficiency. Right. I'm looking for, I'm, I'm not, that we've actually talked about this um, in another Hornby essay too. I'm looking for something that hits me in the gut, in the heart, not mm-hmm. necessarily the head. Right. Um, I mean, I have to bring it Clapton again, because apparently he's... You know, a shitty human being now. Indeed. Well, I mean, uh, he's, like, I think, he's, I think he's, he's always been a shitty human being. He has been, but it's just more uh, more in our faces now, just as Van Morrison. Yeah, um, um, but uh, um, I'm not listening to... When I listen when I listen to Clapton, I'm not listening because he's slow hand. Right. I'm listening because um, his son fell out of a window and he wrote <laughs> a song about it that makes me cry. Yeah. Um, or he's after George Harrison's wife and, and, uh, you know what? Um, confession time. I like, uh, wonderful tonight. Yeah. That's a good one. Well, like Layla is about Patty Boyd. Yeah. Wonderful tonight's about Patty Boyd. There's a lot of Patty, Patty Boyd bangers out there. Uh, (laughs) and I'm talking about the songs, not, uh, the the 70s, the 70s had Patty Boyd. The eighties had Roseanne Arquette. Okay. It's just, (laughs) And well, you know, there was BB Buell floating out there too. Yeah, BB's like around, but like Perry Boy was the it girl of the seventies. Yeah. You got had George and Eric writing songs about her, and then you had Toto and Peter Gabriel writing songs about Rosanna Arquette. Yeah, among many others, I'm sure. Because yeah. Anyway, um, yeah, I think uh, I don't really want to get into like 
guitar solos or just solos. I don't in general. think that there's a need to, but it does. It you know this is why somebody like Glenn Tilbrook. It, well, I mean, not somebody like Glenn Tilbrook. It's why Glenn Tilbrook is my favorite <laughs> guitarist because I feel if you listen to to that stuff, I think that his solos they serve the song. Mm-hmm. It's not it's not necessarily calling to and I've seen him, you know, live where he he does a version of Voodoo Child where he's playing the guitar the guitar behind his head. Yeah. Um he he is a great guitarist, but when he's doing solos for squeeze songs, um it seems to me and he's not always successful, but very often it, it it's there to it's there to serve the song. It's there connecting to the feeling that the lyrics are pulling out. It's in conversation with Difford's words. Yeah. And so that's why I like, you know, his play. That's why, honestly, that's why Springsteen is one of my favorite guitarists. I, yeah. You know? I mean, his stuff is very often there evocative of what he's trying to say. Mm -hmm. It's it's weird how, um, uh, yeah, I agree. I, I just, uh, Thing how I used to love Hendrix when I was 18, and mm-hmm. I barely listen to him now. I, I barely listen to Zeppelin now, like because it doesn't. It hits me in the head, not the heart. Yeah, I think you know. I think or part in of the case it's of Zeppelin, the, it's <laughs> it hits you in the lust. <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah. So I think that there, as we as we age and evolve and change and priorities change, I think you know. Um, <laughs> To, to be crass, I, the less interested that I know I am in cock rock versus heart rock. Right. <laughs> Not hard, heart. <laughs> yes, heart rock versus, yeah, I gotcha. Yeah. I think, that, uh, I think that puts a pin in it. I think so, too. Heart, not cock. <laughs> <laughs> On that note, I think I was first with recommendations uh, last episode. Oh, uh, yeah, so I, I don't know, maybe this is... is pretty basic but um i'm gonna recommend john stewart's new stuff i haven't listened to it i haven't watched it yet the problem with john stewart is available it's available now (laughs) (laughs) on apple tv in both uh it's uh, in the visual format and it's uh, available as a podcast format is the podcast and the show different yeah they are actually so i was I, i i watched the show last night and i listened to the podcast this morning when i was on my run and I was like, I was just assuming, I'm like, ah, oh, the podcast is just going to be an audio version of the of the episode. So but that means no do... one would subscribe to Apple TV, Jerry. <laughs> well, so so the thing is, it's it's, um, and I'll be honest, I I came down on really liking both of them. Mm-hmm. I think that this first that this initial episode of of, of both iterations is is John Stewart like kicking the cobwebs off, you know, like dusting, getting uh, back into the swing of things. Because he seems a little rusty at first. He seems a little uncomfortable mm-hmm. to me at first. But, like, once once he gets into to interviewing the the head of the, of, um, of the VA, oh. um, and talking, it, it's, his passion takes over, uh, and that's where it really shines. Okay. Um, and it's just, it reminds me, of why I loved The Daily Show so much, and him as host in particular, and it's because he gets invested and he seems genuine. Can uh, now 
I was going to watch it this week. I haven't watched it yet. Um, merely because, um, and to her credit, she's absolutely right. Uh, shows like John Oliver make her feel like the world is a horrible place. Makes Kristen feel like the world's a horrible, horrible place. It is, but you can laugh at it too. That's why I go to right. John Oliver. I, that's why <laughs> laugh as laugh as the flames rise. Exactly. Yeah, <laughs> laugh as the world's burning. Yeah. yeah. Um, does Stuart give the same vibe? Well, it looks really think, interesting. So I don't think that he's quite as. It's interesting to to say, you know. The, this, I think it's American Jewish criticism versus British Jewish criticism or cynicism. Mm-hmm. Um, I think both Stewart and Oliver are very cynical people. They they with glimmers of hope. Mm-hmm. It's what what I like about Oliver and Stewart as well is that when they're discussing how you know when they're calling out hypocrisy, when they're calling out bullshit, when they're you know there is also Neither one of them finishes these these uh, rants without saying how it can be fixed. Well, it's like punchline though. The, the The solution's a punchline, at least in Oliver's case. See, I I disagree with that. I think that well, because the solution is usually in the form of a commercial, or. So there's right. He has a more absurdist kind of take on it. Sometimes it's right. it's uh, or an auction, which I really wanted to get the duck hunt. Yes, <laughs> uh, for the duck stamp. But it's um, it's bidding now at at least it bid, I think the final bid ended up being like over twenty four thousand dollars. Jesus Christ! Um, yeah, that was a dope stamp. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they were all fucking dope, but that was the one that one fucking on my wall. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, and I have to explain it. No, God, if a John Oliver went to, <laughs> you know, it went to help, uh, con- you know. Now, if they're smart about it, they'll do some merch and like some some lithographs or posters or something, and and let the money go to charity. Yeah, um, that's what I was hoping he would do. Yeah, like put out a postcard or something so I could hang it up, like yeah, next and, to my you know, kids. Maybe maybe dinosaur drawings. Um, John Oliver, if you're listening, it's a great opportunity. Yeah, I mean, we know we all know John Oliver has been a Mel Plyopolis fan since the beginning, day one. Yeah, yeah. early adapter. Yes. Come on. but always ahead of the curve. To to bring it back to John Stewart, I I think that he is still kicking the cobwebs, um, and like uh, you know, kicking the rust off the off the. Well, I don't know. I, I'm losing my metaphors. I'm I'm <laughs> apparently not great for cobweb and rust metaphors, but. Uh, he apparently you didn't get really good coffee with your eggs and your I got, I, I got several cups of coffee um, which may be why my mouth is working faster than my brain the what I like about this show versus his, his he's not afraid to get really serious too right and it seems like he he would do that, especially towards the end of the Daily Show. But this is this allows him to to really because it's it, you know he's it's he's not expecting the, the nobody's expecting the Daily Show from him, and he's made that very clear that it's not going to be the Daily Show, mm-hmm. um, and it's not. You know he has a he he it's they're they're taking a topic a you know a particular issue and researching different angles of it and approaching people who are, um, you know, on the one side uh, needing help Mm -hmm. 
and not getting it. And then on the other side, the people whose job it is to get that and really taking on, you know, what is the problem with the system? Why is it broken? And what can we do to change it Mm -hmm. and help people? Um, And the show, so the show is, is, um, is one thing, the, 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 the um, TV version of it. And then the podcast takes the same topic, but um, it does other involves other segments he brought for this particular one he brought on um because it was about uh veterans suffering from uh the effects of of being around burn pits mm-hmm. um and the long-term effects that that have that 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 has on them um and the health issues that don't crop up for years um and the fact that that because um uh, well you're gonna watch it so i don't, I don't want yeah, to yeah yeah i am going to watch it just not well, and not to, to you know, quote unquote spoil it for anybody else, but so he he um, uh, he yeah, on the podcast version talked to a couple of, of of people on staff who were who are veterans uh, about their experience, and then uh, talks to uh, a couple of senators involved in in different committees that are you know so there there are separate interviews and separate um, pieces, so it's like a companion to it more than. Uh, than just a straight rehash of the of the TV version. Okay. And then just really quickly, RIP to Mr. Corman. Um, I saw that it did not get picked up for a season two by Apple TV. Um, so really, I, it did. I'm I'm a little surprised. Uh, it, it was an odd show, um, but I enjoyed it. It it had. I don't think it was completely successful, but I'd say it was a solid B plus. Okay. Um, and uh, so, you know, it'll live out there as a single season anomaly. And uh, if you've got time, just uh, watch the 10 episodes of it. All right. That is uh, Jared's recommendations brought to you here by Apple TV. <laughs> and Apple Podcasts. And Apple Podcasts. <laughs> Tim and Cook. John Stewart. <laughs> yeah. Tim Cook, if you're listening, you know. <laughs> you know what to do. Send us some iPhones. Yeah. <laughs> and some of that Apple money. Yeah. Send us some Apple money. We'll, we'll, we'll be your podcast. We'll be your sure. five show podcast. Uh, so my two recommendations. Um, I don't know if I've ever talked about it before, but me and um, your mom were talking about this on Twitter the other day. <laughs> and that's not even the start of a joke. It's, it's actually, <laughs> yeah. Have you, have you been watching only murders in the building? Yes, I have. Okay. Um, yeah, that's my recommendation this week. Um, are you all caught up on it? Yeah. Um, I really loved that new episode. Yeah, and that's so here. Like, it it starts out slow. Like the mm-hmm. whole series itself starts out slow. It's like it yeah. became like a Tuesday night like time killer. Yeah, mainly because um, I and I like Steve Martin. I'm like, oh, there's Tina Fey. Oh, you know, and like, oh, Nathan Lane shows up. Like, oh, mm-hmm. this is really great. There's um, Sting. <laughs> they're sting <laughs> happy birthday by the way gordon <laughs> um because it was his birthday yesterday i think um and it just seemed like too cute but i was mildly invested mainly because selena gomez is fucking killing it in she's this really show. good in it yeah i agree and then this episode i'm not even gonna get into um like just um like this episode, the one that happened this week, um, which is um, the one that episode seven, just solely without like kind of telling 
like making a big deal of it is told entirely almost done entirely in silence or American sign language. Yeah, there's very there's very little of people actually talking. Yeah. I think there's maybe three lines in. Mm-hmm. And um like one at the end and maybe two at the beginning. And maybe one in the middle. I think the scene in the funeral home, I think Gomez and Martin Short There's like a, a whisper bit. or something, yeah. but I mean it's literally but like it's literally like music, some hushes I, I thought it was a very well realized um, uh, conceit because it was a, it was a fucking great thing to pull off. Yeah, I, I agree. And I was just and like about halfway through, like when the commercials hit because it's Hulu, mm-hmm. I'm like, has anyone talked yet? Like in like in, in like in the beginning, like oh, because like. <laughs> I was talking with a coworker about this who also just watched the episode and she, she was saying how um how she typically watches TV with the subtitles on anyway. Yeah, I do too. So, um I do not, but uh, so she she oh, said you she said you don't have kids. <laughs> right. So she said she didn't realize at first what was going on and mm-hmm. then, you know, then she's like, oh, they're not like nobody's talking. Yeah, it's 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 just brilliant and they didn't it wasn't like this thing that was championed or anything. There's no attention called to it. Yeah. Nothing. They don't do. It's it's just the course of a normal episode. And it happens to be mostly silent. Yep. And it's great. Yeah. And, um, it, like, and I guess to finish the point I was getting to is like the show went from like a kind of like a half hour time killer mm-hmm. to like must watch TV. Oh, uh, yeah. Suddenly I, I was... Uh, saying this is that same person i was like initially i was like this show's just kind of okay like it's i I like steve martin i like martin short that's why i'm watching it and then selena gomez is good uh she's the secret fucking weapon yeah but but i mean overall i'm like it is this show's just kind of okay it's Mm -hmm. just it's fine um and and i was enjoying it enough and then as it's gone on i'm like this thing is just really fucking good Mm -hmm. and that so not to to step on your recommendation at all, but I feel like this is what is where streaming has the advantage over networks now. Oh yeah, because we know that this show Hulu picked it up for another season at least. I think it might have been two more seasons. Okay, and it allows. It's like just bear with it, give it time, mm-hmm. let it evolve in a way that I feel like television used to do, network television used to do, and now. You know, and then it got to the point where they were killing things after like four episodes and not giving it time to find its rhythm, to find its home, mm-hmm. um, to find its audience. And sometimes that's warranted. <laughs> and other times it's like, oh, you know, they, they cut this thing off just as it was getting really good. Yeah. And I understand that when you're dealing with millions of dollars, sure. you don't have time to do that. But that's the thing I like about streaming is that you can make a financial commitment for eight episodes, let it run its course, mm-hmm. see something happens like mm-hmm. over time. And then they'll be like, Oh yeah, we'll do it. Like that's it. Like Brooklyn nine, nine. Yeah. Um, and shows like that, that's been able to happen. Um, I, I just, um, like that episode is really scary, but the whole show of itself, mm-hmm. and it's not like they did it like as a stunt. And that's right. the thing. It's like, it's integral. The fact that it's in sign language. It the was fact part of the arc of the story. Yep. It's it's vital to the story. Yeah. Um, and I just, um, I can't wait till ne- next week's episode. I haven't stopped talking about it. Me and your, like I said, me and your mom weren't <laughs> where we're talking about 
And um, <laughs> it's, it's starting to sound like you and my mom have more conversations than, than she and I do. <laughs> I, I, I was wondering that too, but I, it's not my business. <laughs> I, to, be, and to be frank, like, and you know, my dad's listening, <laughs> I probably talk to your mom online more than I talk to my dad over the phone. <laughs> Pretty funny. Uh, um, but my other recommendation mm-hmm. isn't, I guess, maybe so much of a recommendation. It's more of a hot take. <laughs> uh-huh. Okay. Because we are, we are nearing Bond 25. Sure. Yes. And as you're aware of, and listeners who've been listening closely have been, no, have, have no, so I've been watching a Bond movie a week for the last 24 weeks. Mm-hmm. Last night culminated in Spectre. Okay. And I'm going to recommend it. I'm going to recommend that people watch it. Okay. And I'm going to, I'm going to hit you with a banger here, with a banger, a uh, hot take. Okay. Spectre is better than Skyfall. What? Like, maybe by about that much. What? Uh, yeah. Really? Yeah, yeah. It's. Huh. It's referential to the past without yes. being obvious. Okay. Um, it's. Um, it's about the, how the past comes back, whether, or the dead come back, whether, you know, figuratively as in the day of the dead, um, mm-hmm. opener, which is fucking brilliant. It's the best fucking opener of any Bond movie period. Okay. I mean, the fact that like, it's all one shot mm-hmm. until, um, and they blow up a whole building, and he just right. does that little tie thing when he yeah. lands on the couch. It's pretty fucking great. And the the helicopter stunts, yeah, um, in the in the square, I, it's just fucking brilliant. And yes, it's disappointing once Sam Smith opens his mouth and they do that yeah. stupid thing with the with the octopus. Mm-hmm. But um, it's the one time that. Um, he has a a love interest that matches him and survives. Oh yeah. yeah. Um spoiler. <laughs> um it's t- um it's about um it's about resurrection. Like mm-hmm. just um killing things and helping things resurrect and uh you know, whether it be bond or um, his past, um, knowing that his brother is, you know, his adopted brother has like been the asshole who's been making his life miserable. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, other than the bad job at retconning they did once they realized that they could use Spectre again after they won their lawsuit against the McClory mm-hmm. people, I, it's just visually, it's great. Um, originality is great, like I said, referential, but not um, obvious about because, um, like Skyfall is like Die Another Day is sure, like, um, and Lias, uh, Lias Saidu or Saido, or uh, it's just really great in it. Mm-hmm. Monica Bellucci's in it. Mm-hmm. I wish she was in it for longer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 
The visuals are great. I just think the story... Uh, my one complaint is, of course, the Sam Smith song. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess they don't emphasize enough about why the surveillance is a bad thing. Mm. Um, like, soft singing, there's a terrorist attack in South Africa, um, which means they're able to manipulate governments. I was like, that's... But they don't like it's just that one off thing, and I don't, it's just it's not it's never boring. Um, it's um, I love Christoph Waltz as a villain, um, and it's not reliant on gadgets. Plus, that car chase through the streets of Rome is a yeah, so I. As far as Letterboxd goes, I gave it like a half star more than Skyfall. Mm -hmm. Because Skyfall is just... like They took the best parts of Brosnan, or the Brosnan plots, put it on Blender, and then let John Logan film the rest. And just gets a little... um, Waxes a little poetic about um, how out of date someone like Bond is. Where Spectre actually tries to further the plot. I don't know. I I, I I recommend that people... I think Spectre gets a bad rap for no reason and deserves a second chance. I was just curious. I was looking through my letterbox stuff to see if I had reviewed Spectre at some point. Um, I think I started adding films to letterbox after I'd finished my Bond run. Um, I mean, I didn't... It's only gotten better every time I've watched it. Spectre has. And I don't watch it very often. I'll, it's I'll have to watch it again before hours. we go see... Spoiler alerts, we're, we're, we're going to see Bond. Yeah. Um, as, as podcasting's dynamic duo. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, we'll be, we'll, be, uh, we'll be recording live from the uh, lobby of... <laughs> We we will we will not. Um, I guess I hadn't reviewed it, but yeah. I I remember liking it the first time I saw it. I remember because I saw it. You know, I I did not see it when it initially came out. I saw it a little bit later, and um, I had heard, you know, like I I'd listened along to James Bonding and heard them first watch it and love it mm-hmm. like unconditionally, and then watch it again and be like, uh, it's not as good as we thought it was the first time. And then yeah. I think now they've come back around a little bit. I think it. people are going to come back around to it. I think people are going to start to realize it's a little better than Skyfall mm-hmm. because it doesn't do the thing where the thing that they were trying to stop doing um, ends up happening anyway. So, so is that your is that your number two, Craig Bond? No. Um, well, yeah, I would say that was my number two. So it would be um, it'd be Casino, Casino Royale, Spectre, Spectre, Skyfall. Okay. Quantum and Quantum continues to get better every time I watch it too. Um, I would. Uh, I it's to. never gonna. It's never gonna get out of the number four spot though. No. So, but it's not. It just. It's not, not for it not being a good film. Yeah. It's just compared to the others. Exactly. I know Mark Forrester was trying to do like a born. It's weird too. Is like after Casino Royale, they're trying to take on like these styles. Like yeah, Quantum's their born. Skyfall's their. Um, Dark Knight. They're Dark Knight. And then, um, I don't know if it's either they're Dark Knight or they're Avengers or whatever, like their comic book movie. Yeah. 
and then it's it's the origin story yeah, essentially. But and then Spectre is clearly their Nolan. Mm-hmm. Um and to a degree it, it to the point where they even have his cinematographer. Well, I yeah, I was going to say I, I would say to some degree everything in the Craig era is is a little Nolan-y. Yeah. And that's fine. Like, except Casino Royale is just like this shiny, beautiful, wonderful thing that I just, <laughs> I love. It is a great film. <laughs> it, like, it, it's just, it's, it's, Casino Royale is its own thing. And mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, everything else is just, uh, just kind of riffing off of something else. But I think if, of all the things that does the riff the best, I think Spectre is, for my mind, kind of does it better than I'm not, I'm not sure I know I really do not understand I in film Twitter and film Facebook I don't understand why there there's all this love for Skyfall mm-hmm. when if anyone had clearly watched the Brosnan era it's just it's what well, and to a degree every Bond movie since Goldfinger has recycled the Goldfinger plot yeah but Skyfall literally recycles like the whole Brosnan era that takes the greatest hits mm-hmm. and then puts him in like a cool package. Yeah. The Brosnan era is not my favorite era. I, Goldeneye is a good one. Goldeneye is my favorite. Goldeneye. Um, yeah. Goldeneye should be your favorite of, of the Brosnan era. But, um, well, what makes, what makes world is not enough stand out mm-hmm. is the fact that the bond, the bond girl, there's the, the twist mm-hmm. that, She's not all who she seems to be. Right. And I dig that. Mm-hmm. I just wish the other Bond girl wasn't Denise fucking Richards. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes, I, I agree. All right. Well, I think that's a good place to end. Uh, again, if you uh, would like to support us, it's patreon.com forward slash hoot and waddle. Uh, and uh, $5 or more gets you the bonus episode. And uh, please rate, review, subscribe, recommend. Uh, spread the mental platypus love. Uh, and we're, I, I think we have something fun cooked up for post Hornby. Um, we're, I don't think I, we'll don't be wanna... done with Hornby uh, by the time. You don't think so? That was, that was like song 13 or something like that, right? 12 or 13. Anyway. We're not going to be done with Hornby by the time we get to that. We're going to. Well, we to might be a... taking a break from Hornby. We might... <laughs> Everybody's like, thank God. <laughs> I, you know what? I would argue that this is actually a good, you know, a good framework for for some killer music discussions, my friend. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I I, I could imagine uh, it, it's it's a little tough going through thirty one songs. Um, <laughs> I, there are some weeks where I'm like, oh, we got to talk about this. <laughs> but then there are weeks like, like this, this one. Week. Where uh, yeah, it was I, I I had a real I had a ball talking about Westerberg. Yeah, it's you're you're clearly in your element. I I, I don't even we could I could just sit here and listen to you talk about Westerberg all day. Let's let's the just passion say showed. that uh, that I am not like Donnie. I am not <laughs> I am not out of my element. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> all right. Oh God. Well, you've done it. <laughs> what is it? What show is it where you've done it again? You've wasted another hour listening to. Oh, it's Car Talk. <laughs> that was their well, you've sign done off. It. Well, you've done it again. You wasted another hour listening to Car Talk. Uh, 
anyway, take it easy. Keep it mental, platypeeps. <laughs> Mental Platypus is a production of Hoot and Waddle, producing fun arts and culture podcasts and publishing works of experimental literature since 2016. To learn more about Hoot and Waddle, please visit hootandwaddle.com. To learn how you can help support and sustain Hoot and Waddle, please visit patreon.com forward slash hootandwaddle. <laughs>